ever feel like your head's going to explode? Well, never fear, because comedy hero Lewis Black is here to rant about your rage, and Lewis Black, the rant is due. A new original series from Audible Channels. You can rant about everything from politics to relationships, whatever's driving you mad. Then Lewis tees off. You get something off your chest, and Lewis gets something to rage about. Hear the latest episode of The Rant is due free right now at audible.com slash Lewis Black. And now a short documentary. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, takes to the ether this time from the salubrious confines of the portable Proopus of Fruititude located here in Boston, Massachusetts, as the Who's Live Anyway tour continues. Oh, yes, that documentary was about what happened yesterday in France. Macron defeated Le Pen, and the forces of fascism were once again dashed to the ground. By the way, that documentary and the Germans singing their Nazi fatherland song, that represents Orange 45 in his administration. That would be Bannon and Priebus and all of the neo-Nazi white supremacists that he has around him, including himself. And uh, the Marseillaise is the French national anthem. And we are so very proud uh, to live in a world where Austria, Holland, and now France have chosen to reject fascism and embrace... Uh, Pluralism. Let's call it what it is. They use the word populism to represent alt-right nationalism, which means white supremacy. But sometimes the forces of good win, and God damn it, they did yesterday, so we can all rejoice. Uh, Jennifer sent me this. Macron, uh, the, Monsieur Macron, who's the new... Um, a leader of France, says the task facing us is immense and will start tomorrow. It involves reinforcing France's economy, building new defenses, ensuring the safety of all French citizens. It is a huge job and will require more of the same audacity that has brought us this far. This task will require the involvement and commitment of everyone, the courage of truth. It will require the building of a real and strong majority, a majority for change that the country needs and deserves. We have the strength and the energy. We will not give in to fear, to division, to lies, to a love of decline or defeat. I know what I owe you. To my companions, my family, my friends, it will not be easy. The job will be difficult. I will tell you the truth, but your fervor and your courage will carry me forward. I want the unity of our people and our country. And finally, I will serve you with humility, with force, and in the name of our motto, liberty, equality, and fraternity. I will serve with you with love. Vive la République, vive la France. We're so very excited and proud of France, uh, our brothers and sisters in France, uh, for doing the right thing and electing Monsieur Macron. He came from Monsieur Hollande's cabinet. He's married to a woman quite a bit older than himself, which is an issue for lots of people, particularly men who can't bear the thought of a man being married to an older woman. But I would like to point out, of course, that uh, Orange 45 is married to a woman uh, some 35 years younger than him as well. He's exactly 31 years younger uh, than Orange 45, Monsieur Macron, and uh, is full of ideas. He, he formed his own coalition and a new party in France called En Marche. And it's a very exciting moment in European history because, uh, as you know, the forces of fascism have been uh, terrible uh, all around the world, and especially in our country, uh, and it's a, creeping, it's a creeping insidiousness that's difficult to uh, ignore and uh, too horrible to consider. 
You notice that Michel Macron spoke about truth and humility, not about desolation and fear, not about uh, the other being the enemy, not about blaming other people, uh, but an intelligence, a, a, a sensitivity that Orange 45 was never going to display because it is not in him. He is a poor excuse for a human being. All he is full of is blame and hatred and pain, chaos and misrule and greed and self-interest. And that's not what the leader of a country should be like. What gets me the most, I think, is that he dissembles constantly. He's prevaricating. He never, ever gets near the truth. I'm talking about Orange 45. And I, I remember the quote from Joseph Conrad, which I'd like to read you now. You know that I, you know, I hate, detest and can't bear a lie, not because I'm straighter than the rest of us, but simply because it appalls me. There's a taint of death, a flavor of mortality and lies, which is exactly what I hate and detest in the world and what I want to forget. Um, I think that Orange 45 makes all of us so upset because of that. His constant lying and prevaricating and equivocating and blaming and never accepting responsibility and never showing any real leadership, his exclusion of people rather than his inclusion of people. The fact that he won't go anywhere unless it's a property that he owns or that he feels safe being on, that he only does rallies to reiterate and relitigate the election that he feels that he illegitimately won, which he did. He is a completely illegitimate and illegal president. He only wants to be around friendlies who are going to cheer for him. And these are the very same people that he's screwing over with every policy he puts forward. It's the lies that I detest because they make us confused and disoriented because there's so many of them. It's an avalanche of lies. As Dave Frischberg once said, marooned in a blizzard of lies. But there is truth. And uh, there is goodness. And there is beauty. And we're going to get to that right now. Hillary Clinton said this about uh, Monsieur Macron's victory. Victory for Macron for France, the EU and the world. Defeat to those interfering with democracy. That would be the Russians who hacked the election. But the French press, much to their credit, refused to, pr uh, refused to print uh, the uh, uh, propaganda. Uh, and also, the French uh, vote over the weekend. They do many things right. They also don't have an electoral college. So you can see how things might have turned out here. The ending of Hillary's quote, uh, of, of Hillary's tweet goes like this, but the media says I can't talk about that. Because our media are pliant lapdogs uh, for the powers that be. Yes, there are bold journalists everywhere, many of them working on the internet, many of whom I talk about all the time on the show. Uh, Victoria Brownworth, Propane Jane, Joy Reid, uh, Imani Gandhi, uh, Jill Philippic, uh, Katie Klabosish, um, and so, so many more. Uh, uh, Jessica Valenti. There's loads and loads of great uh, journalists out there uh, doing good work and trying to get the truth out. Um, but the New York Times, for every article that they write uh, damning Trump, or the Washington Post, for every article they write damning Trump, or MSNBC, for every person they put on to talk uh, about uh, how awful Orange 45 is, um, they still equivocate and put on right-wingers who, who they let bloviate and do talking points. So again, I would, I would urge you, um, listen to everything. Get all points of view. Make your own decisions. Be a free thinker. Uh, collate and... Understand that information is spun so that you'll feel one way or another. Don't just listen to your side all the time. Listen to what everyone is saying, but also don't believe what everyone is saying. Um, you have to understand the press is run for profit. TV stations are run for profit and they're run by giant corporations and they don't care if the world lives or dies there. It's that simple. Uh, Macron appeared in front of the Louvre with uh, Beethoven's Ode to Joy, which is the European anthem. And this is what he said uh, further. Uh, what has been accomplished has no precedent or equivalent. No kidding. He wasn't uh, a politician who ever stood for office uh, up until a year ago. He was in Hollande's cabinet. People said it was impossible. I take full measure of the honor. When has Orange 45 ever said it was an honor to be president? When has he said he was ever going to serve anyone? He says... Uh, he's not been given a blank check by those who voted for him to simply keep out of extremist parties. He says he will stand by his engagement to protect France. Those who voted for Le Pen, he understands their fear and their anger and will do all he can to ensure during the next five years they have no further reason to vote for the extremists. This evening, he says, it is Europe and the world who are watching us. 
Indeed it is. Uh, I think he's beautiful. Let's move on to some more positivity here. Uh, uh, Taraji P. Hansen was at the MTV Awards last night. Now, I could care less about the MTV Movie Awards. They're one of the shallowest uh, moments in the history of show business. But she said something beautiful. She was nominated, uh, let's see here, after being introduced by blackish Tracy Ellis Ross and Congresswoman Maxine Waters. And by the way, Maxine Waters got a standing ovation because she speaks the truth, baby. Um, she nearly dropped the heavy golden popcorn award. Uh, and this is what she said. She, was, she won an award for Hidden Figures, which follows the story of three African-American female mathematicians whose work was essential to NASA's space mission in the 60s. Uh, this is what she said. No one ever told me that girls couldn't do math and science, but there was an understanding, right? Uh, and of course, she shouted out Octavia Spencer and uh, Janelle Monet. There was an understanding that it was for boys. I remember getting the script and being very upset because I felt like a dream was stolen from me. And it became my mission and everyone's mission who was involved with this film to dispel that myth. Another young girl would not grow up thinking that her mind wasn't capable of grasping math and science. The message of the movie's togetherness. I hate the separateness. I hate that it's man versus woman, black versus white, gay versus straight, whatever. We're all humans, right? Um, yeah, we are. And it's time that we stopped acting like there were more that divided us than uh, unites us. Um, I'm sick of racism and misogyny. It's so divisive. It's so depressive. And it keeps things from moving forward. This part I thought was beautiful, too, at the MTV Awards. They have a category called Best Kiss. And usually, you know, I think this year it was Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling who were nominated for La La Land, which is a movie that I'm never going to see. So you can tell me about it. But the best kiss fantastically went to Moonlight, uh, to Jerome, to Jerome and Anton Ashton Sanders, and they won best kiss. Uh, and it's two men. And if you haven't seen Moonlight, I suggest you do. It's a very moving motion picture uh, and about about humanity and all the beauty uh, that can be contained therein, uh, set in the poor ghettos of Florida. And it's really, really uh, essential viewing. I think. Um, never mind La La Land. Watch Moonlight first. Um, there's some more positivity going on. Slowly, surely, more of the 276 schoolgirls kidnapped by the terror group Boko Haram are finding their way out of captivity. The Associated Press reports that Nigeria's government confirmed that 82 kidnapped Chibok schoolgirls have been released and are going to meet with President Muhammad, Muhammadu Buhari on Sunday, which they did. And uh, you can read the article. Uh, Jennifer sent me this in BBC World News. They were escorted to the reception in the capital of Abuja by armed soldiers after a checkup at a medical center. A spokesman said there was no cause for worry and he was traveling for a follow-up consultation. They've been uh, examined because of their uh, terrible ordeal. Uh, what illness? Uh, let's see here. The girls were handed over Saturday in exchange for Boko Haram suspects after negotiations. The number of Boko Haram suspects released by authorities remains unknown. The Prime Minister told them, I cannot express in a few words how happy I am to welcome our dear girls back to freedom. On behalf of all Nigerians, I would like to share my joy with you. Uh, it, our reporters, let's see here. This, uh, our reporter in, uh, says that many families in Chibok uh, will be rejoicing at this latest news, but more than 100 of the girls have yet to be returned. This is good news to us. We've been waiting for this day. Christian pastor Enoch Mark, whose two daughters were among those kidnapped, told Agence France Press. We hope the remaining girls will soon be released. It was unclear whether his daughters had been freed. A statesman from a spokesman for President Buhari earlier said he was deeply grateful to the security agencies, the military, the government of Switzerland, the International Committee of the Red Cross, the local and international NGOs for playing a role in the operation. With all of these things together, we negotiated over a period of several months, and at the end of it, some Boko Haram members were exchanged for the 82 girls. At the government girls' secondary school, uh, was raided in April 2014. More than 50 girls quickly escaped, and Boko Haram freed another 21 last October after negotiations with the Red Cross. What is the point of this? Well, that progress can be made in things like this. They were released because of why? Negotiations. No one bombed them. There's constant fight going on in Nigeria, obviously. But there's such a thing as diplomacy. And diplomacy means uh, chatting with people, talking with people, not bossing them and giving them orders. Uh, negotiation is diplomacy, and diplomacy is what adults use. Uh, adults like Barack Obama, who negotiated with Cuba, who negotiated with Iran. Um, that's what real leaders do. To circle back a little bit uh, on the French election, uh, his dog is named Figaro, and the French turnout was the lowest since 1969, 74%. Uh, 
78% of the people who lived through World War II voted for Macron. By the way, 74% is a lot of the electorate. In the United States, we haven't had 74% of the electorate vote since they voted for McKinley in 1896. He celebrated at La Rotonde, which is a brasserie associated with poets and philosophers. And here's a cute side note. Jennifer sent me all of these. A French polling place in the village of La Longue Chasse uh, diverted voters to protect the baby birds nesting in the town hall. Everyone had to go around the corner. It was fantastic. Um, President Obama received the uh, Profiles in Courage Freedom Award last night right here in Boston, and he gave a very eloquent speech. And I'd like to read a couple paragraphs from it um, because it's a, it's a nice break from what's going on with our leadership. I've been thinking about this notion of political courage this weekend, in particular about some of the men and women who were elected to Congress the same year I was elected to the White House. Many of them were new to Washington and their entire careers ahead of them. And in that very first term, they had to take a tough vote after they had to take tough vote after tough vote because we were in crisis. Don't forget that, ladies and gentlemen. I know that W and Cheney seem like a real government uh, compared to the Orange 45's disarray and the fact that there's no one in the State Department and the fact that Ivanka Trump is um, an advisor to the president and that the Kushner family was in China selling half a million dollar uh, citizenships to Chinese people and that they were harassing reporters and telling them not to report it yesterday and that this is um, a crime family running a kleptocracy out of the White House. But you must remember that W drove the world into the ground and created the biggest financial crisis in the world in a zillion years. And Obama had to fight his way out of it. Um, they took votes to save the financial system and the economy, even when it was highly unpopular. They took votes to save the auto industry when even in Michigan people didn't want to see bailouts. They took votes to crack down on abuses on Wall Street despite pressure from lobbyists and sometimes their donors. They found themselves in the middle of a great debate, a debate that had been going on for decades, a debate that the Kennedy family had participated in and helped lead, a debate about whether a nation as wealthy as the United States of America would finally make health care not a privilege but a right for all Americans. Now, mind you, Tom Price... Uh, the Secretary of Horror has said that uh, pre-existing conditions won't prevent people from getting uh, Trump care. It will. Um, Orange 45 won't even put his name on it. It's not even called Trump care because he's so afraid that if it fails, it'll be attached to him and no failure can be attached to him. They rushed the crappy vote through the House through without any accounting, without any vetting, without with very little debate so they could have a win. And so that a bunch of white guys could high five each other and then go back to their districts and not have town halls and respond to the will of the people. This is not democracy. This is not America. This is oligarchy for the rich, by the rich. Everyone in Orange 45's cabinet is wealthy and he is wealthy. He is not protecting anyone below him. We'll get to that. There was a reason why healthcare reform had not been accomplished before. It was hard. It involved a sixth of the economy and all manner of stakeholders and interests. It was easily subject to misinformation and fear-mongering. It still is. By the time the vote came up to pass the Affordable Care Act, these freshmen, congressmen, and women knew they had to make a choice. They had to insure millions and prevent untold worry and suffering and bankruptcy and even death. But that this same vote would likely cost them their new seats and perhaps end their political careers. And these men and women did the right thing. They did the hard thing. Theirs was a profile in courage. Notice how he's giving credit to other people, not talking about how amazing his own accomplishments are and how great everything he does is and how it's going to be the best thing ever. Because of that vote, 20 million people got health insurance who didn't have it before. Most of them, most of them did lose their seats. That was during the Tea Party tidal wave. But they were true to what President Kennedy defined in his book as a congressional profile in courage. The desire to maintain a reputation for integrity that is stronger than the desire to maintain office, a conscience, personal standard of ethics, integrity, morality, that is stronger than the pressure of public disapproval or party disapproval, a faith that the right course would ultimately be vindicated, a faith that overcame fear of public reprisal. It was a personal sacrifice, but I know because I've spoken to many of them that they thought and they still think it was worth it. This Republican House is not worth a tinker's damn. Not one of them has a conscience, a personal standard of ethics, any integrity, or any morality. Otherwise, they would not try to enact legislation that people will die from and people will suffer from. That's at its core, at its very root, at the heart of it, inconceivably, irretrievably, irrevocably sexist and racist and classist. Um, vote them out. Vote them out. There was 217 of them. You can go to MoveOn's Twitter site. 
moveon.org's Twitter site, there is a giant list of every single congressperson, what they did and what they voted. Um, the rascals must be thrown out. Um, they're scoundrels. Everyone in Orange 45's cabinet, himself and this entire Congress are scoundrels. And this is the part I wanted to read you um, that Obama said that I think is beautiful. As everyone here now knows, the great debate is not settled, but continues. And it is my fervent hope that, and the hope of millions that regardless of party, such courage is still possible, that today's members of Congress, regardless of party, are willing to look at the facts and speak the truth, even when it contradicts party positions. Well, they are not. In the Senate, we might find a different uh, outcome because I think the Senate is going to start from the bottom up. I believe it was Senator Collins who said that she thought they were going to scrap the entire proposal that was sent to them because it's such a haphazard mess. Much like his budget proposals, which are written on a piece of paper like you were handing them in because uh, you had a paper due for your eighth grade thesis. Uh, that's the kind of attention to detail this administration brings. Um, I don't think that anyone uh, that's a Republican in Congress um, cares about the facts or the truth at all. Uh, they want to win and they want to be ahead and devil take the hindmost. I hope the current members of Congress recall that it actually doesn't take a lot of courage to aid those who are already powerful, already comfortable, already influential. But it does require some courage to champion the vulnerable and the sick and the infirm, those who often have no access to the corridors of power. I hope they understand that courage means not simply doing what is politically expedient, but doing what they believe deep in their hearts is right. And this kind of courage is required from all of us. Those of us consider ourselves progressive, those of us who are Democrats, we've got some soul searching to do to see what kind of coverage we show. We have our own dogmas. Those of us not in elected office have to show some courage. And we're prone to bestow the mantle of courage too easily on the prominent and the powerful, and then too eager to wrap ourselves in cynicism when they let us down because they weren't perfect. We lose sight sometimes of our own obligations, each of ours. All the quiet acts of courage that unfold around us every single day. Ordinary Americans who give something of themselves, not for personal gain, but the enduring benefit of another. We miss him because his words are true. Because he speaks to the better angels of our nature, as Abraham Lincoln said. Because he doesn't talk about blaming people and why does the fake media always messing me around and why don't they investigate Sally Yates and why is everybody always chasing me and I don't know who did it. I don't know who did the hacking. Maybe it was China. Um, no, there is a thing called the truth. There is a thing called integrity. There is a thing called courage. We have to find it in ourselves. I have to find it in myself. You have to find it in yourself. What do I mean by courage? That means the courage to phone your elected representatives, the, the courage to write them, the courage to attend demonstrations, the courage to go to community organized activities where you can make a difference. I need each and every one of you within the sound of my voice to reach deep down and do these things. If you can't and you don't have the time, we will do them for you. But remember, gentlemen, it is time to atone. It's time to atone for being a man. It's time to atone for having privilege. And how can you do that? Get on the goddamn phone. I see that women are 85% of the people who are phoning the elected representatives. Go to a town hall meeting. If you can't go to a town hall meeting, demand that your local representative have a town hall meeting. If you can't uh, uh, attend a march, and for instance... There's a march coming up, uh, a march for truth is what they're calling it. Um, that's the state of affairs that we live in, that we have to march for truth. What does that mean? Uh, it's on Saturday, June 3rd, right? Um, and you can go to crowdpack.com uh, stroke campaigns and, and the march for truth is there. A demonstration to call for an impartial investigation into the Russian interference in the U.S. election and ties to the Trump administration. He hasn't released his tax returns. Um, Michael Flynn is deeply under investigation. Manafort, uh, Carter Page, every single person involved around him is up to their ass in Russians. And it's a giant cause for alarm. And it has to be gotten to the bottom of. Um, the... Senate is dragging ass. They're doing everything they can not to investigate this because they want to protect themselves. As I speak today, in about half hour's time, Sally Yates is going to testify. Um, Orange 45 impugned Sally Yates uh, on Twitter this morning and said, how come they don't investigate her? How come there was a press leak? This is all deflection and diffraction. This is all 
protestation to take away from the main event, which is the fact that it is highly likely um, that we have uh, Russian operatives in our government and that our election was highly tampered with by the Russians. At the very least, uh, people received money and meetings were taken. And this is a matter of grave national importance. Um, so you need to step the fuck up and, uh, and go to this march. Uh, if you went to the science march, good for you. If you went to the women's march, good for you. Uh, uh, if you went to the tax march, good for you. Uh, marching works. He watches TV all the time, and they show these marches on TV. He understands that he's wildly unpopular with the electorate, and he understands that there's pressure being weighed on Congress and everyone, because that's why he won't appear in public. That's why he's acting like uh, uh, Peter the Great, and he won't go in front of the serfs. Uh, we're a little too frightening for him. Um, I've, I've often said on the show, even before Orange 45 was uh, uh, diselected, that uh, there's only one thing these jokers understand, and it's power and money. And you know that's fucking true. You know it's true. Girl, you know it's true. Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. Springtime is a great time to hit the reset button and retackle personal goals like getting fit, cleaning, and cooking. Luckily, Blue Apron makes incredible home cooking easy and accessible by delivering seasonal recipes with step-by-step -step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, all for less than $10 per meal. You can even customize your recipes based on your preferences and select a delivery option that's right for you. Plus, there's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. Some of the meals available in May include beef teriyaki stir-fry with sugar snap peas and lime rice, baked spinach and egg flatbread with sautéed asparagus and lemon aioli, three cheese and baby broccoli stromboli with tomato and oregano dipping sauce, crispy salmon and roasted potato salad with pickled mustard seeds and creme fraiche sauce. They've sent delicious meals to the Fortress of Prupitude, and we can attest that these meals are fresh, easy, and delicious. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash smart. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash smart. Blue Apron, better way to cook. Uh, on another note, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about what's coming up. Uh, we're going to be in New York on uh, May 25th at the Bell House. And uh, we're on tour right now with Who's Live Anyway. Uh, and that tour continues for quite some time. Uh, we're in Boston this week. By the time this drops, I think we might have missed that one. But on the 11th, we'll be at uh, the Keswick Theater in Pennsylvania. On the 12th, in New Jersey, at the Count Basie Theater. On the 13th, the Modell Performing Arts Center at the Lyric in Baltimore. Then Richmond, uh, Nashville, Tennessee on the 16th at the James K. Polk Theater, a un completely undistinguished president from Tennessee. Uh, and that one's with Chip Esten uh, from Nashville. He's going to sit in with us on that night. So if you're thinking about coming to see Who's Live anyway, May 16th in Nashville is a good night. Then San Antonio, Houston, Austin, and then in Las Vegas on the 27th and 28th. Uh, of May. Uh, oh yeah, we're rampaging. And that, you can go to whoslivenyway.com and buy tickets there. As for me, I'll be in New York on uh, May 26th at the Bell House uh, for a podcast there. Uh, Jennifer will be there and uh, it's going to be a very groovy time. And then uh, we're back in LA on the 13th of June. We're going to show Harold and Maude at the Cine Family which is a sensational picture. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it by Hal Ashby, 1971, uh, a beautiful movie about a teenage boy that falls in love with a woman who survived the Holocaust. And uh, then, let's see here. Uh, the 24th of June will be at Idiot Fest in the Silicon Valley. I think it's at the Shoreline Amphitheater with a load of comedians, Michael Che and, oh golly, everybody. Uh, that's um, You can go there um, to Idiot Fest, let's see what their website is. It's idiotfest.com. It's spelled I D 10 T F E S T dot com. Um, let's see. Oh my God, they've got Weezer, OK Go, Lord Huron, the Mowgli's. Those are all the bands. Girl Talk TV on the radio. And then uh, as far as comedians go, gee, Willikers. I didn't realize it was as big. <laughs> I didn't realize it was as big as that. Uh, let's see here. At the Comedy Tent, they've got. Uh, Okay, great. There we go. Oh, Dimitri Martin, Michael Che, Garfunkel and Oates, Nikki Glaser, Brian Pussain, April Richardson, um, me, uh, Marcella Arguello, Brent Weinbach. It's, it's really a wild lineup. So I invite you to join us at Idiot Fest on uh, the 24th of June. And then we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco, um, July 20th through the 24th. The podcast will be on the 24th in San Francisco. Then we're going to be in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Festival with... Um, 
Colin Mockery, Josie Lawrence, Mike McShane, G Wiz, I don't know who all. Uh, and that'll be um, from, uh, I'll be there from August, let's see, 2nd, I guess, August 2nd or 3rd, uh, up until the 16th uh, of August. And I'll be doing podcasts in Edinburgh. Uh, at the Gilded Balloon on Wednesday the 9th and Tuesday the 15th as well. And then also a giant event in uh, Pasadena that we did last year that was great, good fun. Uh, in July, July 29th and 30th, we'll be at Politicon. And uh, believe it or not, it is a wild thing. We're going to do a, a podcast there and stand up and do a panel. We did it last year. Vincente Fox was there. Um, Sarah Palin got up and spoke, and Vincente Fox got up and waved at her during her uh, her bit, as it were. Uh, it, it, it is uh, every side is covered at Politicon, so it's really worth going to. Anyway, back to uh, what we're talking about here, um, and uh, a little positivity. Uh, a girl was adopted. Uh, Jennifer sent me this from the USA Today. A girl was adopted with all five siblings. Hamilton County probate judge uh, Ted Winkler offered them a chance to speak. The oldest did. I'm happy that I'm here because everything is wonderful, said 12-year-old Kaylee, one of two girls. This is just what I wanted. The Sanders are Christina and Christopher Sanders, the people who adopted them. A Forest Park couple who in 2014 took in four boys and two girls as foster parents. All six adoptions were finalized in a courtroom packed with family members, so they were able to adopt an entire family all at once, the Sanders family. That's so beautiful. This one you'll love. Um, Ohio quadruplets all accepted to Harvard, Yale, and Duke. Four boys and many, many acceptance letters. Quadruplets in Ohio have all been accepted to Harvard, Yale, and Duke and other top national universities. Some of the boys were also accepted to Stanford, University of Chicago, and Princeton. They each applied to a few individual schools, but were all four, works, uh, were all four applied, they were accepted. It's a wow factor. They weren't expecting it, but we always tell them to shoot for the SARS, said their mother, Kim Wade. Nigel, Zachary, Aaron, and Nick Wade are seniors at Lakota East High School in Butler County, Ohio. Principal Susanna Davis has watched the boys grow up and said with their ability, to, uh, impressed with their ability to be so close, but also to forge independent paths. They've thrived academically, but have found their own interests. Um, they're African-American um, kids, and they're all going to go to great universities. And it's just a lovely, lovely story. Um, uh, moving on to Jackson, Mississippi. Um, if you haven't looked it up, uh, Lady Parts Justice is a, a comedy tour that I'm involved with. Liz Winstead is a, a comedian and an activist who runs the Lady Parts Justice League. We're going to be in Jackson, Mississippi on uh, June 6th at the clinic there in Jackson, Mississippi, and then performing on June 7th in Jackson. And uh, I would advise you to go to ladypartsjustice.com or Vagical Mystery Tour. Oh my goodness, there's a lot going on outside there. Hang on one second. Well, there's always going to be some interference. There's uh, cops riding all over the place. In any case, the Vagical Mystery Tour uh, is a combination USO and support uh, project. They're going to clinics all over the country in the states where women's right to choose is imperiled. Uh, I won't have women demonized and I won't have women made into baby murderers. Um, the people who murder people are men with guns. They're, the Second Amendment has run wild and guns are way too available and men shoot women all the time. That's the lead story in the news, in my opinion, that men kill women. Women killing babies is not an issue. Uh, and yet we have to stand for women all the time, gentlemen uh, and ladies. The tour starts in Fort Worth, Texas on May 18th, and then it continues June 2nd. It continues uh, all through June. We'll be joining them at Dueling Hall in Jackson, Mississippi uh, on June 7th. Uh, they'll also be in Birmingham, Alabama, Little Rock, Arkansas, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Wichita, Kansas, Omaha, Nebraska, Iowa City, Milwaukee, Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis, Ferndale, Michigan, and on and on. It's at VagicalMysteryTour.com. But Greg, why do we have to do this? Why, why, why? Why can't we just do whatever we want uh, and not worry about women's rights? This is from yesterday's paper from the AP. Iowa Governor Branstad signs abortion and voter ID, ID bills into law. Iowa Governor Terry Branstad, that's B-R-A-N-S-T-A-D, has signed three bills dealing with abortion, voter ID, and medical malpractice. Well, you can understand why I'm reading about this, because you can guess where he's headed with this. This is a man, a white man, a white privileged man who wants to take rights away from other people because he can. He has some sort of crazy notion in his head that women are some sort of demons 
And uh, I, there's been a lot of talk about The Handmaid's Tale, but honey, it can happen here. Why are you so head uh, up about abortion? One, it's the cornerstone of women's rights. It's part of women's health care. It's not something women do frivolously. Two, in a fascist state, the first right taken away is uh, uh, the right to choose for women. And that's so that they can become breeders uh, for the rest of society. Three, um, it's our duty to treat our sisters like they're human beings. Um, and there's no reason to legislate against women in this regard in any way. Abortion should be free, legal, and on demand and paid for by you and me. This whole chit-chat... Oh, kittens. This whole chit-chat that's going on about how we have to accept pro-life people in the Democratic Party. Fine, be pro-life if you want. I just don't want to fucking hear about it. I don't care. What I'd like you to be is pro-life, meaning you're against men shooting women with guns. You're against police shooting black men with guns, which they've done many times this week. And lots and lots is going on there as well. Um, To me, that's a way more important issue. Stop fetishizing fetuses and start venerating and trusting women. The Republican governor signed the bills... At consecutive ceremonies, DDD, uh, he hasn't vetoed any bill approved by the Republican legislature and is now, you know, of course, they're all just trying to shove it through in Iowa. And we were there a week ago. This is a banner day, he said. I wouldn't say this is the biggest day, but it's certainly one of the most significant ones in terms of public policy. The abortion restriction publics the prohibits the procedure in most cases after 20 weeks of pregnancy and requires a 72-hour waiting period before any abortion. Hardly any women get abortions after 20 weeks. And, and secondly, why should women have to wait for 72 hours before any abortion? Why? 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 What if it's a medical emergency? What if they just need it? What if they want it? What if it's their choice? What if they're citizens of the United States and Roe v. Wade covers that end? Um, they don't make people wait for guns for 72 hours. Men can walk in and buy boner pills anytime they like. It's an absolute scandal. Branstad called it a significant strike for the anti-abortion movement. Well, I don't want the anti-abortion movement to make any significant strides. They hate women. I've said it before on the show. I'll say it again. If you're anti-abortion, you hate women. I'm not going to parse it. You're a misogynist. Otherwise, you would care about what women needed. After he signed the measure, the Iowa Supreme Court issued an injunction on enforcement of the waiting period. Mm-hmm. When asked earlier about efforts to block the law, Bradstead noted similar abortion restrictions have been upheld in other states. I wanted to read it like Morris the Cat. The voter identification bill signed by Branstad will require voters to show ID at the polls, a measure the Secretary of State Pat, uh, Paul Pate said will be in effect for the 2018 gubernatorial elections due to a soft rollout. It will be fully implemented in 2019. It allows 17-year-olds to participate in primary elections if they'll be 18 by the general election. Abonants have said the identification requirement and reduction of early voter days from 40 to 29 will suppress voter participation. It is a direct hit on the poor, the old, and anyone who is not white. There's no need for voter ID laws at all. You can read a very good article by Ari Berman in The Nation about how his grandmother or his mother would not have been able to vote. My mother lived to be 93 years old. At the end, she didn't have a driver's license. So she wouldn't have been allowed to vote in a state that requires a state ID. And she'd voted in every election since Roosevelt. Is that fair? No, it isn't. What they're doing is trying to weed out people so that Trump-like candidates can win again and again and again and again and again and again and again. The medical malpractice bill would move to add predictability to the medical field and attract more professionals to Iowa. No, it won't. And the medical um, industry in Iowa is huge. We have to fight for everyone uh, all the time. Um, in, in Louisiana this week, uh, uh, Mayor Landro has been having a heck of a time because he's taking down Confederate statues. And white supremacists uh, from uh, Louisiana and some who've come in from other states have been protesting. I wanted to read you... This quote um, from the Louisiana paper, this, or the New York Times rather, but it's about uh, what's going on in Louisiana. The reason they decided to take the statues down is because they're a blight. Imagine having to look at your oppressor's statue all the time. Um, uh, these are slave owners. These are people who fought uh, for slavery. Okay, And by the way, Andrew Jackson did too. And so did George Washington. Um, he wrote, or he said rather, that he wanted to show the world that New Orleans celebrates diversity, inclusion, and tolerance. And to demonstrate there was no... Uh, the statement also noted the statues were erected decades after the end of the war and were meant to, quote, demonstrate there was no sense of guilt for the cause in which the South fought the Civil War. Wesley Lynch III, a 25-year-old African-American, said the gesture was important. Mr. Lynch was standing by the flag waivers near the Davis statue on Thursday, having encountered them after paying his light bill at a nearby power company. The flag waivers being people who support keeping up Confederate hero statues. 
He's unemployed. His last job was at Popeye's. And he spoke with passion and despair about the status, not as rel- statues, not as relics, but as living symbols of a social order that, from his experience, wanted people like him to rise only so far. They're putting that image right in our face and saying, blacks at the bottom, whites at the top. That's what they're saying. Supporters of the statues run the gamut. Amongst them, David Duke, the former Ku Klux Klan leader who ran for office several times in Louisiana. He sees the removals as destroying our heritage. But whose heritage is that? Black people make up more of the population of New Orleans than white people do. So whose bloody heritage in it? And he called Mr. Landry the mayor a traitorous cuck, meaning a cuckold. And white supremacists use the term cuck. Darren Seals. You may remember him from the Ferguson uh, affair, where the police uh, started a riot after killing Michael Brown uh, unjustly um, by shooting him at close range for doing nothing. Um, The affair went on for several days, and Mr. Seals was the one who was seen with a potato chip bag in his left hand, hurling a tear gas canister with his right hand. By the way, he was not hurling the tear gas canister at police. The tear gas had been shot at them by the cops and was near a bunch of children with whom he was standing nearby. He was trying to get the tear gas canister away from him, and that's why he threw it. Um, He was found shot to death inside a torched car. Uh, uh, Sorry. Uh, Crawford was found shot to death, uh, not in a torch car. I got that wrong. Let me go back. Crawford was found shot to death Thursday night in his car, just like activist Darren Seals in 2016 and protester DeAndre Joshua the night of the Ferguson verdict in 2014. The latter had two gunshot wounds to the head and their cars were lit on fire. Crawford, it was believed by police, shot himself in the backseat of the car in an attempted suicide or by accident. Mind you, there were other people in the car with him and he was not suicidal at the time. This case is going to require a great deal more uh, of explanation and extrication. Mr. Edwards is a nice person and you can go on CNN and uh, watch the interview with him where he talks about bringing attention to the plight of the people of Missouri who... Uh, uh, in Ferguson uh, and what they had to endure from the police there. And you saw how well armed the police were, militarily armed, and you knew, now know, uh, from the report that came out after Ferguson that the police were basically using them as an income flow uh, to finance their own uh, activities. Um, For three activists from one incident um, to die in three years' time is more than suspicious. Um, You can go to the website The Root if you wish to read more about it. Um, so moving on from there for a little more positivity, uh, Liz Winstead, who I mentioned earlier, wrote a piece for Vox and it's about what happened uh, last week. Um, a woman, uh, an activist from code pink was, Oh, by the way, the, 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 um, the doc, there's a documentary, uh, uh that's out now, uh, and it's by, um, Maisie Crow and it's called Jackson and it's about, um, the women in Jackson and how they've had to, Uh, fight for their reproductive freedom and everything that's going on. Um, You can go to jacksonthefilm.com and look at it. And this is why we've chosen to go to Jackson. One, uh, it was the only time I had that I was able to go. But two, Jackson, Mississippi is a battleground. And let me read you a little bit of it from the Jackson, the film site. Abortion remains legal in the United States, but anti-abortion efforts have succeeded in making it virtually inaccessible and in the Deep South often unthinkable. At one time, Mississippi had 14 abortion clinics. Now only one remains. The self-labeled pro-life movement has won cultural, political, and legal battles. The stigma of abortion is prolific in Mississippi. Shannon Brewer is the director of the Jackson's Women Health Organization, the only remaining clinic in the state. Barbara Beaver runs the Center for Pregnancy Choices and is a leader of the anti-abortion movement in Mississippi. April Jackson is a young mother of four children. It's an unprecedented, the film, look at the lives of three women caught up in the complex issues surrounding abortion access. I suggest you try to watch it or live stream it. Um... I'm hoping to do an interview with Shannon Brewer and uh, with Barbara Beaver when I'm there. I'm hoping that we can do the podcast. Uh, uh, We're going to do everything we can to interview all the comedians we're with and uh, to talk to the women who run those clinics because they're doing um, the work of the angels. They really, really, really are. Uh, And to remind you who's playing with us on the 7th, at uh, Dulcie Hall, we'll be with uh, Liz Winstead, Joyelle Johnson, Ian Harvey, Helen Hong, and me on that night for a stand-up show. We will, however, be at the last clinic standing in Mississippi on the day before, on um, June 6th. Um, Chakwi Antar Lumumba uh, is running for mayor 
and the election is going to happen on June 6th when we're there. His father was mayor of Jackson. He's an African-American man. Let me read this to you. Uh, it's from uh, In These Times. What happens in Jackson will have a profound implication for black electoral politics. As Kianga Yamada Taylor and Kevin Alexander Gray, two critics of the black establishment, have noted, black politicians have won and equipped elected office through accommodation rather than demands for systemic change and gains in black political representation have failed to produce material gains for the average black person. It's particularly acute in the South, where the white planter elite has co-opted black leaders into an already existing political structure, as documented by Hassan Kwame Jeffries in Bloody Lounge, Civil rights and black power in Obama's black belt. Jackson may be an early indicator of a turning point, and this is where it gets good. In 2013, after an uh, unprecedented primary upset, Detroit-born civil rights lawyer and black nationalist Chakwe Lumumba was elected mayor. He campaigned on expanding community control of the uh, institutions and fixing the crumbling infrastructure. Um, uh, A system built on white supremacy, a system which is based upon capitalist exploitation, is not a system which is going to save people. He passed away. This is his son. Um, The Tea Party uh, tried to move in around Jackson. By the way, Jackson is highly black, uh, way more black than it is white. Um, And uh, a man named Mr. Yarber is running against uh, uh, Tony Yarber, uh, is the mayor of Jackson. Yarber inherited a $91 million contract with the multinational conglomerate Siemens to automate water meters, leading to one problem after another, including sky-high bills and broken water lines. Yarber received $30,000 in campaign contributions from a retired Siemens subcontractor, Socrates Garrett, amazing name, has instituted no oversight over Siemens, even as residents clamor for a lawsuit. Um, Jackson's transit agency, J-Train, uh, leading to complaints of a marked deterioration in the quality of service. He's outsourced $13.8 million in sludge hauling work that could have been done by city employees. Yeah. Enter Chakwe Antar Lumumba, who's again running against Yarber. Like his father, his campaign centers around good governance. He pledges to take on Siemens, stop outsourcing city work, and end the furloughs. He wants to push for more state funding without more top-down control. Mississippi's legislature's white wing is susceptible to organized pressure, particularly from the Capitol. The elder Lumumba, his father, and his allies succeeded in getting legislature to make desperately needed investments in Jackson's infrastructure. Like his father, Lumumba brings the cloud of local government for economic justice and black determination, anchored by groups as the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement and Cooperation Jackson. We're hoping he wins the election against Mr. Yarber because he won the runoff on June 6th. He's quite a young man, and this is an exciting moment in Jackson's history. Now, rolling back to talk about the article that Liz Winstead wrote. Um... <laughs> Uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, during his confirmation hearing, and Jeff Sessions, who is our attorney general, and has recused himself from the Russia investigation. Why would he recuse himself? Because he's involved in it. He spoke with Russian officials. Uh, Let's see here. I'll just read you a little of what Liz wrote. Earlier this year, Desiree Firuz was arrested for the crime of laughing at a particularly gaslighty comment during the confirmation hearings of A.G. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. Last week, we learned she was convicted and could face 12 months in prison, 2,000 in fines or both. Now, that hasn't been handed down yet, but she was convicted by a jury. Mind you, Trump had to pay a $25 million fraud fine right before he took office. He's in the middle of a zillion lawsuits. He's being investigated by several agencies. There's uh, RICO organizations, that's racketeering organizations, and a couple of states. There's grand jury indictments going on. No white people go to jail unless they have to. Uh, rich white men, I mean. Um, black activists, uh, uh, this woman here, Ms. Viruz, um, laughed at his confirmation hearing. And if you'd like to hear what she laughed at, I'll carry on reading here. Uh, Liz says, I'm personally offended by the idea that a bunch of powerful men could lock up a woman who has an appreciation for irony. I've made my career using comedy to expose the hypocrisy of the powerful. It's the whole point of the very popular television program, The Daily Show, which I co-created. It's also the point of Lady Parts Justice League, a cabal of comics I brought together to expose creeps hell-bent on destroying access to birth control and abortion. I am part of that cabal, thank God. So when the government comes after a woman for laughing in the face of political hypocrisy, it is my patriotic duty to call bullshit. Firuz was right to laugh at the session's confirmation hearing. Everyone should have been laughing. Here are the horrifically dangerous actions of Desiree Firuz at Sessions' January hearing. In his glowing remarks about the future Attorney General, Senator Richard Shelby was prattling on that Sessions' history of treating all Americans equally under the law is clear and well documented. 
This is when the laugh came out of Fiery's mouth. I'm sure it was similar to a variation of the guttural utterances anyone with a heart, a pulse, and a thirst for facts has been spewing during this unintended comedy show we've been living since the election. Farouz's response may have been more reserved than the spit takes it w- <laughs> that would have wound up on our computer screens as those sitting near her during the hearings have said <sighs> her laugh or gasp or cough or whatever was so inaudible they couldn't tell what it was. My question is, why didn't the entire room convulse with laughter at that point? Jeff Sessions' history of treating all Americans equally under the law and clear, well-documented L-O-L-O-L. This is the guy in 86 was denied a federal judgeship after it came out that he said he was okay with the Ku Klux Klan until they found out he smoked pot. His problem with the Klan was that they smoked pot. At his tie to racist factions were so alarming, and I've read the letter on the show. Coretta Scott King personally wrote a letter to the Judiciary Committee, the Senate, asking that Sessions be denied the position. He was denied a position in the government earlier in his career, but Trump took him back. Much like Obama fired Michael Flynn uh, as an intelligence officer in his administration. That means he lost his clearance, and Trump's been tweeting, oh, but he, he had him in his administration. How come he did It's come out today that Obama warned Orange 45, not to put Michael Flynn in his administration because he was a suspect uh, 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 as being a Russian agent. And uh, he put him in anyway. So these are the kind of people that Orange 45 is putting in here. His clear and well-documented treatment of people is not limited to racial inequality. It never is. As Senator Sessions consistently voted against rights for LGBTQ folks, his nomination to Attorney General was cheered by anti-abortion extremist Troy Newman. Jeff Sessions is beyond laughable. And to me, the crime is that the whole room wasn't laughing, laughing until they were crying. As a nation, we should all be laughing at the suggestion of Jeff Sessions as a civil libertarian, a fighter of freedom, a person qualified for the job of Attorney General for the United States. And now that he has it, a few months in, his department's prosecuting a woman who laughed at him. As a comedian and satirist, what scares me most is not that taking these licks in stride is the backbone of this administration. They seem to think they can end criticism by punishing it away. Even Joe McCarthy is saying from the grave, lighten up, man. Fragile egos are the worst, and those who can't take a joke are announcing to the world they are imposters. Since laughing at someone creates a status shift, a perceived loss of power is transferred, and in that moment of release, in that moment of release, if you believe you are an imposter, you panic at the loss of even a drop of it and become angry and belligerent as a counterbalance. I watch it with dude hecklers all the time. They can't shut me down, so they just become loud and rude. Now we have a president who's basically that insecure, belligerent heckler, but with a Justice Department who can arrest people for acting up. Desiree Farouz laughs for all of us as we watch Dangerous Incompetence take center stage. From Rick Perry becoming the head of a department whose name he forgot while promising he would abolish it, to Betsy DeVos becoming the Secretary of Education, although she's never taught at public school and never attended one either. Did Firuza's laugh sexually assault someone? Did her giggle shoot an unarmed black teenager? Did her chuckle have suspicious connections to Russia that affected her democratic elections? Of course not. Had that been the case, she wouldn't have to worry about arrest, conviction, or sentencing. We are all Desiree, laughing to keep from crying, resisting to keep from hopelessness. I'd love to give this administration some advice and alternative rules to try. For example, it's important to take criticisms with a grain of salt. That's salt, not assault, just in case you misheard me the first time. Also, try to see the humor in yourself. It's better for people to laugh with you than at you. And while you're laughing, try not to destroy the world in a nuclear war over your own fragile male ego. Uh, Liz Winstead uh, and I will be in uh, Mississippi on the 6th and 7th. Liz Winstead continues her great work. Uh, Jennifer will be with me as well. If you want to come to the gig, we will see you there. Until then, I wish you nothing but peace. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that you ring be a cool pop a bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Bye.